This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Gary Craftso. Gary has been a pioneer in the transmission of yoga for health, healing, and personal transformation for over 30 years. Gary graduated with a BA, magna cum laude, from Colgate University in 1976 and received his master's degree in psychology and religion from the University of California at Santa Barbara in 1983. At this time, he opened the Maui School of Yoga Therapy. Since then, he has become a renowned speaker and teacher of the Vini Yoga methodology at many conferences and schools nationally and internationally. He's the author of the book Yoga for Wellness. And with Sounds True, Gary now has available four different DVDs, a DVD on Vini Yoga Therapy for the low back, sacrum, and hips, Vini Yoga Therapy for the Upper Back, Neck and Shoulders, Vini Yoga Therapy for Anxiety, and Vini Yoga Therapy for Depression. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Gary and I spoke about the breath-centric approach of Vini Yoga. We also talked about the field of yoga therapy and various protocols Gary has developed in the field of yoga therapy and the statistically significant results of some of these studies. We also talked about the true purpose of yoga and Gary's vision for how this purpose can become a focus for how yoga is practiced in our contemporary world. Here's my conversation with Gary Craftso. Gary, to begin with, I'm curious if you can Introduce me a bit to Vini Yoga. It's a type of yoga I've never heard of before. What is Vini Yoga? Well, Vini Yoga, well, let me contextualize it. A lot of the, the names of traditions, of yoga, modern yoga traditions, uh, come either from the name of an individual like Mr. Iyengar, Iyengar Yoga, or a name like Ashtanga Yoga, which is actually kind of being used as a brand name to describe the teachings of a particular teacher. Um, and back in the 1970s, uh, uh, some of us who were students of Krishnamacharya and his son Deskachar uh, were trying to figure out, as the Iyengar world was growing, how we would identify the yoga that that we uh, that we do. And we asked Krishnamacharya, who was Mr. Iyengar's teacher and also the teacher of Patabi Joyce of Ashtanga Yoga, how we could identify the work that we do that's dis- you know, distinct from just the generic word yoga. And he recommended the word vini yoga. Vini yoga is a term that is in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras um, but uh, and, and used in, in, in Hindu culture, in Hindu uh, religion. Um, it was uh, a term that described the procedures for different kind of ritual activities. It's also used in Ayurveda as a term to describe how to select the appropriate uh, remedy for an a individual condition, respecting the individual's constitution and the nature of their problem or their condition. So Vini Yoga is appropriate application. And in the ninth century, Krishnamacharya's ancestor named Nathamuni uh, wrote a text called Yoga Rahasya in which he also used the word Vini Yoga to describe how to appropriately adapt yoga techniques and apply them to the unique needs of the individual. And so there's a, a lot of historical antecedents of the word vini yoga, meaning sort of to differentiate the context that you're working in to adapt the tools appropriately and then to apply them in, in a, a correct and relevant way. So that name was given in the early 1970s to the, some of us students of Krishnamacharya and Deskachar to, to identify our work and also because the methodology of the way we teach is that we adapt. It's not about teaching, for example, in the idea of asana, for example. We're not really teaching postures, we're teaching people. 
and we're not adapt, uh, contorting their bodies to achieve the postures. We're adapting the postures to suit the needs of their bodies. So Vini Yoga is really the, a brand name, but it is also descriptive of our methodology uh, in practice. Well, that's interesting to me, this idea that the individual has to apply or adapt whatever it is that you're teaching. How does that work when you make and publish videos or you teach a class of 50 people? Sure. You can't exactly tailor it to each person in the room or who's watching no, the video. No, of course not. I mean, there's a, that, that's a, it's a very common question. And the idea of Vinayoga is that you, uh, you adapt the tools that you're using to fit the context in which you're using them. So if I'm teaching a private session with someone, it's obvious how to adapt. To I have to assess what is going on in that individual, what their needs are, uh, what their interests are, and then I can adapt appropriately the tools of practice to help them achieve what they want to achieve. But if I'm teaching a group class, then I think of that group as the individual, and I'm teaching a group class maybe in the morning is different than if it's in the evening. If it's a class for people with back pain or high blood pressure or anxiety, then that's you know that's the individual that's the individuality of the class. So it's not just about individuals; it's about the unique context in which you're teaching. Okay, and then help me understand, as someone brand new to Vini Yoga, what's unique, special the most important attributes of this style of yoga? Well, I, I mean, I think one thing that I already said is that when we teach yoga, it's not about the practices, whether we're talking about asana pranayama, chanting or meditation or, or ritual. Um, it's not about the practices or the methods. It's about the individual or the group that we're working with, and we adapt all of the tools of practice to suit the needs of that individual or that group. Um, there are some things that we can say that are distinctly different about Vini Yoga in, for example, asana practice, besides that we don't just uh, teach postures, but that we, the way we do the postures is quite different. The emphasis in our approach is what I would call breath-centric rather than form-centric. So our focus is on the relationship in an asana practice between the flow of breath and the movement of the spine. And our job is not to teach students to do the postures correctly, but to empower them to use the postures as tools to help them understand their own bodies and the needs of their bodies and to affect change in their bodies. So it's not about you know, mastering the form of postures. It's about using movement to affect functional uh, change in their, in their bodies. Um, there's other things about the way we practice, you know, how we, dis- how do, how do we uh, teach the ways in which you can regulate the flow of breath, and there's different ways of, of adapting the breathing, not only adapting the breathing, but as I said before, the forms of the postures to produce different effects, the, the art of com- combination, how we sequence postures in different ways to produce very specific effects. And beyond, you know, those kinds of ideas relative to asana, vini yoga is fairly... Uh, not unique, but but one of the traditions that emphasizes uh, pranayama, breath adaptation in asana to prepare for pranayama, uh, you know, ritual and, and um, sort of mantra and meditation. So it's kind of an integrated approach to practice that uses asana, pranayama, chanting, mantra, meditation. Um, and then another thing in Vini Yoga that we, this is a, actually a living tradition of yoga therapy. This is not a made up like a lot of yoga therapy in the West today is uh, Western healthcare providers who love asana and say, well, they're a therapist, therefore I, I love yoga so I can be a yoga therapist. Or I'm a yoga teacher and yoga is therapeutic, therefore I'm a yoga therapist. But actually there's an ancient tradition of yoga therapy with its own unique texts and practices and methodology. And this Vinaya Yoga lineage is a lineage, an authentic lineage of yoga therapy. Uh, so a lot of the work we've been taught is a tradition of therapeutic application. Okay, well, you've said several things that are really curious to me. So let's start with this idea that it's a breath-centric. This is the phrase you Mm -hmm. used, approach. Is there a breathing technique or an approach to working with the breath that is the central beginning point, how you work with the breath and the postures? Well, you know, actually, you know, in fact... In, in the yoga world, there's sometimes some dogma about this is the right way to breathe or this is the classic yogic way of breathing, and often that's actually just a misunderstanding. What we're taught is that there are many different ways of 
regulating the flow of the breath, what I call the directional flow of the breath. You know, the common example is, do you inhale from the chest to the belly or do you inhale from the belly to the chest? And certain traditions will say the classic yoga breath is, you know, belly to chest or the right way of breathing is chest or belly. And, and actually what we're taught is that every different way of regulating the flow of breath has a different effect. And our job is to understand the different effects of the different ways uh, in which you can regulate the flow of breath and then choose the way of controlling the breath that's going to be most relevant to the intention of the practice or the needs of the of the individual that you're working with. Um, so rather than saying there's one beginning step, there's a way of understanding that breath is the medium for movement in asana, uh, a different way of thinking about breath for pranayama, certainly a different way of thinking about breath when you're doing chanting or mantra and meditation. And then having said that, you know, somebody that has high blood pressure would work with the breath differently than somebody that has pathologically low blood pressure or somebody that has inflammatory bowel disease would work with the breath in a way that's different than somebody that has, um, you know, emphysema. Uh, so that there's both the, the methods uh, themselves, different ways of breathing produce different effects. And then with individual uh, needs, um, therapeutic needs, we would adapt the breath differently. It's good. It's helpful. It makes sense to me, especially as you're talking about people in different health conditions, different low blood pressure, high blood pressure, whatever. But I'm curious still if someone is listening to this and they're a yoga practitioner and they're thinking, well, you know, okay, there's not one way to breathe, but is there a vini yoga instruction that would help me understand a couple of the key different ways of breathing that I can sure. incorporate right away? Yeah. So, uh, and of course, you know, part of the way I'm trained is part of my kind of dharma and my almost, um, this is a joke, mission impossible, is is to continue the work of te- educating people in the West that yoga is not asana, that asana is a small part of yoga. But when you say someone listening to this who is a yoga practitioner, probably, most likely, that means they're a practitioner of asana. So what we would say is that when there is not a contraindication uh, like in other words, high blood pressure or cervical disc problems or glaucoma or something like that. Um, and you're really using the asana practice to have functional benefit on the spine. Then the way that we control the exhale is from the, the contracting the, the abdominal muscles below the navel. And that level of control of the exhale will give you control over the pelvic lumbar relationship and help you stabilize the pelvic lumbar relationship in asana. And that the inhale is more focused uh, in the expansion of the rib cage, which promotes them. Uh, that expansion of the rib cage promotes the maximum axial vertical extension of the spine, creating intervertebral space. So, when there's not other contraindications, we usually use control the breathing in an asana practice in such a way that we get maximum benefit on the spine. Therefore, in most asanas, the, the expansion of the chest and the vertical extension of the spine is the primary focus of inhalation. And the contraction of the belly to create a stability in the pelvic lumbar relationship is the primary way we would control the breath on exhalation. But with certain postures, uh, you know, we would modify that. And then if you're practicing not for anatomical effect, but more for energetic effect, like if you're trying to relax your nervous system, you know, um, or sedate parasympathetic agitation in the late afternoon or the evening because you want to sleep, then we wouldn't emphasize chest inhale we would emphasize belly inhale and it gets it goes on and on like that with detailed uh, principles for adapting the breath in different ways that's helpful now you also mentioned in talking about the unique contribution of vini yoga this idea of yoga therapy as an ancient tradition not necessarily a tradition that's just come about in the last couple decades with yoga teachers offering private sessions. Tell me a little bit about yoga therapy. What is that as an sure. ancient tradition? Yeah, well, first of all, and just to qualify something you said, yoga therapy is certainly not a unique contribution of any yoga, but it's a particular focus. Vinny yoga is one of the few uh, traditions, not the only one, of course, that has you know, antecedents in an authentic ancient transmission of the yoga therapy Idea. So yoga therapy, um, the you know, ancient yoga is really about, and you can describe it variously, self-realization or God-realization. You know. um, so the source uh, teachings in yoga, of course, is to master 
All the tools of yoga are designed to master the mind to help bring your unconscious patterns into your conscious awareness so you can become freed of them and then realize kind of a meaning and purpose in life and actualize your potential as a human being. That's the traditional ancient yoga, but long ago, um, the Charka Samhita uh, uh, appeared, which is the source text of Ayurveda, and it is considered to be one of the great source texts on yoga therapy as well. And uh, there has been, for a couple of thousand years, an application of yoga therapy that is a kind of an amalgam of yogic teachings and Ayurveda and Jyotish, which is Vedic astrology. So from ancient times, the Ayurveda, the great masters would be yoga masters and Jyotish masters, that is, great Vedic astrologers and Ayurvedic physicians. Um, and it's very common that that um, great yoga master was also a great yoga therapist. Um, and so this has been going on for several thousand years. And in that time, there have been uh, many... Um, texts and practices that were evolved, that that were specializing in the therapeutic application uh, of yoga techniques that were used in cooperation or in conjunction with uh, various forms of Ayurvedic medicine, nourishing, uh, cleansing exercise, nourishing herbs, purification processes, etc. When you use a word like therapy, yoga therapy, you're talking about like somebody has a set of symptoms or they're working with some challenges, physical challenges, and that they need some specific remedial yoga. Is that what you mean by yoga therapy? Yeah, I mean, the word in Sanskrit is chikitsa, yoga chikitsa. As I said, it's not a modern thing. It's an old idea. And yoga chikitsa um, is uh, a a method of helping uh, reduce symptoms of, of, uh, from condition, health conditions to reduce symptoms uh, or eliminate them where possible to reduce pain, or if you can't reduce it to, uh, or to eliminate pain if you can't eliminate it to reduce it, if you can't reduce it to to manage it, if you can't uh, really do anything to manage it to shift one's perspective about it. And this is true about all kinds of uh, symptoms of disease. Um, so yeah, the therapy is is uh, designed. The therapeutic tradition implies that someone has. A combination of problems. Well, I'm not, it could be structural problems, you know, common aches and pains, or disc problems, or it could be chronic disease processes, which manifest in symptoms like pain and sleeplessness and digestive distress. Um, so physiological conditions, and then uh, mental health is maybe classically the proper field of yoga therapy, which is fundamentally about the mind. So you could see the spectrum of anxiety and depression uh, as an example. Um, so people that have combinations of them, like my typical student I have, will have some kind of a back problem or a neck problem. They'll have some digestive issues or some cardiovascular issues. Uh, they may have cancer, and then they may have some kind of emotional depression or anxiety or and psychosocial isolation. Um, you know, and they're going through maybe some grief. So just as an example, you have a, a complex. Um, manifestation of a lot of different symptoms. So yoga therapy is the science and art of how to understand who the human being is, what the symptoms they're manifesting are, how can we help the human being realize who they truly are, uh, help them reduce the suffering from their symptoms, eliminate what's possible, as I said, uh, reduce what we can, manage what we can't reduce, and shift their perspective on themselves in relation to their condition. So that, I don't know if that explains it to you, but that's sort of... It's helpful. I think a further question that I think might help illuminate this for me is that I was reading online that you've developed protocols for two different National Institute of Health studies, and that one of them's yoga therapy for generalized anxiety. And you mentioned that... Yeah, generalized anxiety disorder. Yeah, yeah, GAD, it's a technical, yeah. How can yoga, yoga therapy, help us with generalized anxiety disorder. What specific aspects of yoga would you apply in that situation? These are not simple questions, um, but I can try and and help you uh, understand the yoga perspective on this. Um, So if you think about human being, human being is a multidimensional being. 
Um, and, and from we have we have the idea of anatomy, physiology, psychology in Western science, and in Vedic India, the ancient model coming from the Taittiriya Upanishad that is pretty well known in the yoga community. Mostly, it's known as the five kosha model. It's really uh, the text calls them the Panchamaya, the five dimensions of the human being. So you know the idea is they recognize we're multidimensional. So if you have um, say a condition like anxiety. Um, anxiety will have a physiological response, will have a thought, a cognitive response, it'll have a, an emotional or feeling response, and it'll have a behavioral response. Um, and so a person who's suffering from a mental symptom like anxiety, it's really a multidimensional thing. Your anxiety will cause sympathetic activation, uh, worry, um, obsessive thinking, uh, could be um, anxiousness, feeling of overwhelm and could be compulsive or obsessive behavior. So what I've looked at is, um, you know, there's physiological response. And by the way, that physiological response, sympathetic activation can create uh, chronic sympathetic activation can create neck tension, not only digestive distress, but also neck tension. So a symptom like anxiety is a complex thing that can affect the physical structure um, the, the the sympathetic parasympathetic regulation in the autonomic nervous system uh, create cognitive distortion and 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 thought issues and then emotional or feeling problems and uh, and then behavioral problems and so you, you know, the way that yoga therapy works is we'll use certain kinds of movements to release neck and shoulder tension certain kinds of breath adaptation to calm or sedate sympathetic overactivation certain systems of uh, of meditation to begin to change the cognitive or self-inquiry to change cognitive distortions, maybe chanting or mantra to shift the the, the mental or, the, the, excuse me, the mood symptoms, the feeling symptoms, and then some kind of regular practice, whether it's on the mat or off the mat, to help shift behavior. Um, so it's not a simple answer uh, because human beings are complex and any kind of a symptom, whether it's anxiety, depression, you know, or emphysema or cancer, uh, we have to work with the human being at a multidimensional level. So we apply multiple tools to help that individual work with their condition. Well, well, I appreciate the nuances of how you're answering these questions. So don't shy away from that, Gary. It's quite welcome. I'm appreciative. I mean, I think people can, you know, care about what you're saying. It makes sense that we can't just, you know, throw one simple system, one simple approach to something as complicated as generalized anxiety. So thank you. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. Just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, you developed a protocol for the National Institute of Health Studies related to yoga therapy for generalized anxiety. Can you tell us a little bit about the protocol and what's being discovered and what this well, might, you know, what, yeah, that, what the results you know, that might particular be? Study, that particular study, there was a funding problem. So we, we got to the point where uh, we were advertising for, you know how studies work, you, you, you get the grant and then you develop the protocol um, which is the intervention, and, and my job was to develop the intervention and train uh, the faculty who would teach it, and then the next step is that they apply. Uh, or they advertise for test clients to come in, and that, that particular study never was completed because of funding issues. But I got to the point where we developed the intervention, and I trained a, a therapist, who was go- two of them actually, that were going to apply it. We had done that with the back pain study where, you know, we did that with with stress reduction study with Aetna. The generalized anxiety never was activated just because of funding issues and the principal research, which may be more information than you're asking for, but the principal researcher also got transferred in to a different location. And so that one never went through to completion. 
Have you had a study that's gone through to completion? Yeah, the back pain study went through to completion. It was written up in the Annals of Internal Medicine in 2005. The stress reduction one just uh, was completed two years ago with Aetna Insurance Company. I'd love to know about those just because I'm curious, you know, how you structured the study and then what the results are. And we also did one on lung cancer with the University of Michigan. So there's Uh several that have gone through. Uh Um, You know, basically, there's... The system for doing these kinds of research isn't created uniquely for the yoga groups, you know, or the yoga therapy groups. There's a sort of system, a Western system of doing research on on these kinds of interventions, and they begin with a, a pilot study where you have one or two or three groups of about 20 to 30 people who you meet once a week for 12 weeks. Is that what you're asking me about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so we meet we, in in most of these studies. There was, um, like I said, in, in one, two, or three groups. Uh, like in the Atna study, we actually had four groups. So there was about eighty people altogether that we worked with in 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 two different regions, um, uh, one in East Coast and one on West Coast. The back pain study was only in one region, but there were and there were three different groups. Um, and we meet these people. I developed a protocol that was 12 weeks long, and the way I developed in all of them was that there was basically six programs. Um, that We taught a program the first week, and the second week it was just refined and modified, and then we would, on, the, on the third week we would add or, or change slightly the program, and then on the fourth week we would refine it. And then on the, you know, each week, each, every second week we would add something newer, so that there was never too much learned by the students new in any one session, but there was an ongoing refinement of what was done. Um, and the classes are uh, one hour long. That's another thing, like a typical yoga class is an hour and a half, but with these studies, um, and, and ideally in the yoga uh, environment or yoga therapeutic environment, you're someone's doing something every day for themselves, and if they're meeting a teacher or a therapist in a class, they're meeting them twice or three times a week, depending upon how severe the problem is. But for these studies, they only want to do once a week for one hour. So we've you know, had to follow that. Um, and there was exclusions, like so if you're doing a, a study on stress or back pain, we like back pain, we had to eliminate cer- certain kinds of conditions, like discs. Um, although it doesn't mean that, that the, the, the protocol wouldn't have been effective, but they want to eliminate as much as possible things that are so particular that it may influence the, the the end results of the study. So there's all kinds of exclusions that they work out, uh, and then people are interviewed, and then they come into the into the program, and then they they go through the program, and there's different kinds of both objective and subjective measures that they use at the end to to um, crunch the data and come up with this the results and the results that we're looking for is what they call statistically significant results. So tell me and what was statistic what was statistically to, significant? What were the statistically significant results? Well, the statistically significant results would be phrased in their language, you know, and I'm not a researcher. My job was to uh, people on, on AVI American Vinny Yoga Institute in our team are research people. My job was designing the yoga and training the the therapist to apply it. But they would say stuff like a significant reduction in back pain, improved function, less absenteeism from work, uh, sleeping better, feeling better, less neck problems, that, you know, that kind of thing. So some of them, like in the, in the, in the stress reduction program, they, they, had, uh, they used the technology to measure cardiovascular respiratory coherence, which, which surprised them how powerful that we could have objective measurements uh, that really demonstrated that this stuff really works. Um, and then some of them are subjective, like they have these um, forms that they fill out that are subjective reporting about how they feel. I think, Gary, part of the reason that I'm interested in these studies and pressing on this point is we've seen now how the world of mindfulness has changed so much now that there are ways to measure the impacts on the brain of what mindfulness practice does. And it seems like we're right at the beginning of being able to measure statistically significant results from yoga practice and how this might change the field of yoga. And and I'm curious to know your thoughts about that. 
Well, you know, I actually have quite a few things to say about this. And I, I again, I don't know that the context of this response will make sense to you or, or your audience. But one of the things that uh, um, there's some problems and some benefits in our work. The problem is, of course, that most researchers haven't differentiated uh, between yoga and yoga therapy. And so a lot of the research has been generalized yoga programs applied to all different kinds of conditions rather than like what the yoga therapy, the Vini Yoga therapy in particular, and not just Vini Yoga, but real Vini Yoga therapy, but someone who's really trained in the tradition of yoga therapy is able to do is make a condition-specific intervention. So our studies have all been condition-specific interventions, and all of our results have been uh, statistically significant in every program that we've studied. Whereas some of the yoga generalized yoga program research that's been done on different conditions has been has been effective and some has not been but most of it has not been condition specific interventions just sort of generalized yoga and mostly that means generalized exercise asana practice and our interventions there was a lot of breath work and even meditation um, so that's something that we're a little behind you know John Kabat-Zinn and MBSR mindfulness based stress reduction programs have gotten much more uh, uh, dollar research dollars, and they've they've done a lot more work than we have in the yoga world. Um, and it's in, interesting for me also to know that uh, that when we did the Aetna study, that we we worked against MBSR, and and our results uh, we beat them in every every metric but one, because our work is breath centric, and that has a much more profound impact on the autonomic nervous system. And those objective measures, the cardiovascular respiratory coherence, for example, were really significant, uh, really showed the power of this work. So I think the implication for research going forward is that we need to train, and we were just at a conference in Boston with Satbir Khalsa, who's a a research doctor at Harvard who's, who's into the yoga research as well. And we're slowly educating the researchers on the distinction between yoga and yoga therapy and, and getting them more excited about doing actual yoga therapy research. So condition-specific uh, interventions adapted to the unique needs of that particular condition. And um, we expect, as a result of that, uh, to have much more uh, significant uh, uh, results and the the work with that and the, the insurance really was the first step in that because the medical doctors at Aetna uh, were very much already involved and in believers in MBSR and they were skeptical about the yoga but the CEO of Aetna is a, a big a proponent of, of yoga and yoga therapy so he pushed the doctors to do this study with us and the doctors were pretty much blown away when they when they saw how significant our results were are there so certain, how much of, that's all very helpful yeah. and it's very interesting to me actually and i'm curious to know if there are specific conditions that you think yoga therapy is particularly well suited to address like this is the bullseye for yeah, yoga that's therapy a, that's a great question i mean we do a lot of good work. I mean, in December of '05, there was written in Annals Internal Medicine that back pain study that me and one of my students did with the National Institutes of Health. That was the first big one. Clearly, although you know, for me, there's been a reductionism in the West of yoga to asana, and 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 the equivalent a bit of a reductionism of yoga therapy to structural therapies. Having said that, we do a lot of good work with uh, uh, all kinds of structural problems. Um, with a disease process, with physiological conditions, we're more, we're less like doctors and more like nurses in the sense that uh, yoga therapy doesn't treat disease; it treats people who are suffering from illness or disease. So our emphasis is not to cure disease, but to help someone. For example, when I work with cancer patients, um, and there's a lot of good work we do with cancer patients, but it's not to attack cancer cells, but it's to help them sleep better. Uh, help them uh, feel better about themselves. Help them function better in the world, in the, uh, in you know, in the face of their condition. Help them uh, shift their perspective about themselves. Um, stimulate their immunity. Certainly, um, sl obviously, sleep better, digest better. You know, because they have reactions not only to their disease but also to their medications. But we're not thinking about curing. So we do a lot of good work with people suffering from asthma, from uh, 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 different kinds of cardiac arrhythmia, high blood pressure, 
But all of it is really helping an individual sort of manage their condition and reframe their their perspective about themselves and shift their lifestyle so that they can uh, reduce their symptoms, manage them better, actually have less of them, and support a natural healing process. Um, the, The proper field of yoga therapy, which I said before, is mental health. You know, Patanjali, the yoga source of yoga, is really fundamentally about transforming the mind. So I'm not talking about psychiatric conditions, you know, like uh, severe cases of, of, of psychosis or schizophrenia, but uh, for the normal uh, kind of uh, emotional suffering that healthy human beings, and even people with psych- psychological kind of conditions um, like anxiety and depression, we do very, very good work. So if there's a deep physiological imbalance, um, these kinds of, of uh, clients really should be seeing mental health care professionals and maybe even getting uh, psychopharmacological help. But even in those cases, we've seen that if they begin to be to, to do self-care and breath practices, their dependency on psychiatric medication actually is reduced as well. So really, yoga therapy goes across the full spectrum of, of, of human suffering, structural, physiological, and psychoemotional conditions. You've mentioned yoga therapy for back pain, specifically for chronic low back pain. And I'm curious, I've heard people describe how much low back pain can be caused by emotional issues, worries, concerns, stress. And I'm curious what your view is of that. I mean, there, there's a lot of... Uh, this is a bit of a, a, a tricky business in, in the New Age communities. A lot of times people have... The, uh, they buy into the idea that they create all their own problems and, you know, and the, 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 that their conditions are the result of their own emotion. And so I'm very careful about that. Clearly, uh, some back... I've worked with people that, that they're having back pain. When I was young and I, I, had a, I had a lot of doctors who wanted to refer patients to me and I... Um, was encouraged to get some kind of a license so that they could refer people to me. And I was living in Hawaii, and the easiest thing I could do at that time was to get a massage license. And then we would use the codes to build neuromuscular re-education. And one of the things I noticed is that when people were waiting for settlements, they really didn't get better until well, until they either got the settlement or they found that they weren't going to get the settlement. So clearly there's a mind-body connection. Clearly some conditions, some back problems are... Uh, either sourced in mental or emotional problems or held in place by mental and emotional problems. But many back problems are the result of dysfunctional movement patterns or accidents and injuries. So, yes, there's a relationship uh, between some structural and even physiological conditions and emotional stress. Clearly, anxiety can be the causal, a major causal factor in uh, um, irritable bowel syndrome. But unlikely to be the major causal factor in inflammatory bowel disease, although mental stress and emotional uh, anxiety can be a factor that reinforces the problems from inflammatory bowel disease. So I guess what I want to say about this is uh, it's tricky. You don't want to project on people that, you know, their problems are really in their minds or that that their, their emotions cause their problems. But sometimes the emotions do cause a problem. Oftentimes the emotions perpetuate a problem that has a co- or make a problem worse that has a different cause. Okay, so Gary, you've said a couple times that it's part of your manifesto, if you will, to disabuse people of the notion that yoga is just about asana or postures and that there's so much more to it and that there's this specificity in yoga therapy. And as you're talking, I'm kind of seeing what we could say might be a vision for the future of yoga and the way yoga is taught and practiced and the role of a group of people that could be yoga therapy practitioners. So I'd like to hear from you. What do you see as, let's just pretend this is Gary's manifesto, Gary's vision of what's possible for yoga in the West. Ideally, what might it be? What might it look like? Well, what a funny question. I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm really emphasizing differentiating yoga from yoga therapy. Um, yoga is a, is a spiritual discipline. It's about, I mean, what's happening in yoga in the West is yoga has become kind of a form of exercise. And then, and now you have the whole sort of yoga tribal culture with music and, you know, good feeling and sangha and community. 
so it's it's taking its own shape today. But I think that that the traditional yoga, uh, which is about uh, it's not really traditionally about feeling good and having fun. It's traditionally about awakening and 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 self realization uh, and uh, breaking identification uh, and attachment in the world and and awakening to your true nature. So my vision of yoga is that it continues to provide a path for that level of awakening. Um, and that yoga therapy is a subset of yoga, but really it's got different kind of goals. The yoga therapy goals are more like the goals of Ayurveda or even Western med- uh, medicine or psychology that is helping individuals who are suffering uh, feel better about themselves and then work to improve their condition uh, and get and heal and get better. Um, so I, w- I would like to see you know the, a community of yogis and practitioners of yoga going deeper into inner practices and and continue to, that inner journey of transformation, while at the same time there be a, a, either some of the same people or a different group of people who are interested in the therapeutic application get trained in yoga therapy so they can actually help in this healthcare crisis uh, you know to empower people to take more control over their own condition and their own health care. And I don't see them as incompatible at all, but I see them as very two di- very different kinds of uh, uh, ways that yoga can penetrate in, in into the Western society more and more. That's clarifying. Thank you. Now, I was reading in a book of yours called Yoga for Wellness, this quote. The quote was, Liberation from the effects of conditioning on all levels is the purpose of yoga. And that was a profound and strong quote, and I was wondering if you'd comment on it. Liberation from the effects of conditioning on all levels is the purpose of yoga. Yeah, well, I mean, look, a lot of the the structural problems that people have, even in the yoga classes in the yoga world, in fact, I began my making my living from refugees from uh, you know, Ashtanga and other traditions. I, I began my career on Maui in the 70s when, when Ashtanga was beginning there. A lot of what happens when you're doing any kind of strong physical exercises, if you're not critically self-conscious of your movement patterns, your exercise will reinforce them. So a lot of the, you know, people that um, came to me were people that got injured from their practice uh, because their practice reinforced their dysfunctional patterns. So li- being liberated by you know from your dysfunctional movement patterns is called neuromuscular reeducation and behavioral patterns uh, the way we eat the way we react emotionally the way we were raised as uh, as children and our parents related with each other and way the way they related with food and the way they related with money uh, and our childhood trauma and all that dramas they create what we call some scar patterns some scar or conditioning and that are are you know are our thinking, our action comes from our thoughts, and our thoughts come from our desires, and our desires come from our conditioning. So it's our early childhood conditioning, maybe conditioning from past lives, if you want, um, that that move us into the world, uh, you know, into action, and our action creates reinforces our condition. So liberate, becoming liberated from our condition really means becoming critically self-conscious of our self-conscious of our patterns. Our movement patterns, our thought patterns, our emotional reactivity patterns, our dietary patterns, our behavioral patterns. Um, and as we make them conscious, we become more free of them, and then we can make choices that are really freed from not just being influenced by our patterns, but conscious free choices that then actually can be the foundation of new and more healthy patterning. I don't know if that's clear. I hope it's clear. It is clear to me in terms of a directionality, the process of becoming free of all of that conditioning seems more the question. That's quite a tall order. Well, that's that's what sadhana is about. I mean, that's what personal practice is about. That's why, like what I said, it's not about mastering postures. It's about exploring movement uh, and discovering what your patterns are so that you can be free of them. And, you know, it's about... Svadhyaya, in, in, which is a Sanskrit word that we use in terms of self-reflection in the, in the context of modern application, like to analyze your thoughts. Why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Why are you reacting emotionally the way we're reacting? Why are we 
behaving the way we're behaving? What do we really want? Why are we attached to these things? Self-investigation so that we can see, do I really want this? Do I really need to, how do i how do i become free of uh, of my desires and attachments by by analyzing by investigating how do i become conscious of my patterns not just by me acting mechanically but by stopping and looking at what is underneath the choice to act a certain way or to talk or react emotionally or to behave a certain way so this is self-awareness practice of presence um, and self-awareness what's your personal Sadhana, sadhana, you could define for us. I think that would be helpful as well. But what's your personal sadhana practice these days? Well, I'm always doing uh, some. I'm in the human body, you know, in on, in the gravitational field, in in a world where there's stress. So I'm always doing some movement, uh, some pranayama. I'm always uh, attend. Let's say I'm always attending to my, the needs of my spine. I'm always attending to the condition and the needs of my nervous system, always moving towards kind of what I would call or what's called sympathetic parasympathetic regulation. I'm very careful or alert to not only the choices I make in my diet, but how it influences my nervous system and measured by how I sleep, how I feel. And I'm doing uh, ongoing self-reflection and meditation. And the most Really, most if someone were to ask me what are the most powerful parts of my personal practice, it, it invo- it's involved with prana pranayama, you know, practices, breathing practices, and mantra. A mantra is a very powerful tool for uh, transforming the mind. So pranayama and mantra, uh, and 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 self-reflective meditation, and and all of that supported by ongoing study. And I and I you know I've studied. Sanskrit for years and and decades actually and and I'm constantly engaged in some work with some text or other. You said one part of your practice that I found curious that I don't think I've ever heard anyone else say quite in that way. Attending to the needs of my spine. What are the needs of your spine? Yeah, for me, I, you know, look, I'm 58 years old. I was a gymnast in high school um, when I went and I met Krishnamacharya uh, and Deskatar, and I was 19 years old. Um, so we're talking about almost 40 years ago. Um, I was a gymnast, so you know, I, you know, it wasn't, you know, for me. I'm not really practicing asana in the traditional sense. I'm using asana uh, to help me keep my spine aligned uh, and to help me build prana shakti, you know, the energy in my system, so that I can live my life and and really liberate the energy that I can generate through asana and pranayama to do the hard work of mastering thought and emotion. For me, asana, I use asana to, to, deep, to, to prepare my breath for pranayama, and I use pranayama to prepare my mind for meditation. And asana and pranayama give me the energy to do the inner work of yoga, which is, uh, which is mastering thought and, and, and emotion and reactivity, and, and that manifests in my behavior. So I said attending to my spine because I'm really listening uh, when i practice asana i'm really listening to my spine uh, and my nervous system you know asana and pranayama is really for me about the spine and the nervous system and as tools to open me to uh, i'll just keep going and say that this for me the big sort of meditation from asana and pranayama is related to something that we call in yoga the central channel or the shashamna um I don't know if that makes sense to you or your community. But I think I'm following you. Yeah, the central channel in yeah, front of, so, in front of so the spine. For me, I, yeah. I'm attending to that so that I can open that inner space inside of myself. And, um, you know, so attending to my spine and my nervous system so that I can come into deep present awareness uh, and do that inner work, which is through more through mon- mantra and meditation. Can you explain the relationship between coming into presence and the opening of the central channel or what you're referring to in mm-hmm. yoga language as the shashamna. Yeah. It's, it's the, the awakening of the central channel happens when the mind is still and present. can happen when the mind is still and present. If you're distracted, if your mind is busy, it, just, it will not happen. So in a way that that is the it's like what we call purvanga. It's the preparation for opening that space inside. Asana pranayama. 
and bringing that mind, the mind into that state of, of alert, present mindfulness. So it's the kind of the, I, I, you said what's the relationship? I'd say that it's the the essential preparation. Now, Gary, I just have one final question for you. Our program's called Insights at the Edge. And I'm always curious to know what someone's personal edge is. And what I mean by that is not so much the edge of your work or research, but kind of what you're working with personally, if you will, that's your growing edge. Huh. Um, interesting question. I think it's, you know, it's it's this issue of uh, sort of external versus internal orientation. Like I have some worldly dharma, like, you know, sharing yoga. Uh, I'm a religious, I was a religious studies major, but I received all this yoga therapy and here I am involved with all this research and with medical people and National Institutes of Health and universities in Aetna. So there's this kind of sense of, of responsibility that I have to give what I, back what I've received in yoga therapy and educate the community and, and build the American Video Institute as a sort of freestanding organization that can do that work independent of me, being there present all the time behind everything. Like to, So there's that. And then there's my, my inner orientation. You know, I was a religious studies major when I was a kid, you know, in the 1970s, Deskachar, Krishnamacharya's son, said to me that I, I was too young to study religion. He was joking, and he said I should study Western science. This is in the mid-70s, and I said, why should I study science? And he told me, you're going to be bringing yoga therapy into the context of Western healthcare. And he told me that in the, in the mid-1970s, and it was very prophetic. Um, so I feel like I have to do that, but my inner orientation is really the you know I was a student of religion when I was since I was a kid for my for me this inner journey of yoga is what my deepest interest is so my edge is dancing between fulfilling my worldly kind of responsibilities also I'm a dad and you know you know and I support a family and I have this organization and I have a lot of students that I've trained that now work for the organization so I have this external responsibility and then this inner sort of not exactly a renunciate. I'm not a renunciate exactly, but this inner journey and and there the edge is to try and dance in the world while at the same time not losing that core inner orientation. If that makes sense to you, it's a beautiful answer. Thank you. I've been speaking with Gary Craftso, and with sounds true, we now have available four DVDs of Gary's teaching work. Vini Yoga Therapy for the Low Back, Sacrum, and Hips, Vini Yoga Therapy for the Upper Back, Neck, and Shoulders, a program on Vini Yoga Therapy for Anxiety, and also a program on Vini Yoga Therapy for Depression. Gary, thanks so much for all the good work you're doing on the inner and external planes. Thank you so much. I thank you. It's an honor to, to be here on your show. SoundsTree.com. Many voices one journey. Thanks for listening.